0: We can make a difference.
1: I just feel like I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party. (laughs) In a world overflowing
0: with movies, we need a hero.
1: Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode number 40, Bridesmaids. I hope you're all keeping safe and well in isolation or keeping safe and well at work if you're a key worker, keeping everything running. Um, It's been an incredibly difficult few months, I guess, for for everyone. I feel like everyone, well, mostly everyone in the world has stepped up um, and hopefully Everyone can beat this virus. And um, uh, both Hellboy and Hellboy 2 have been really positively received. Um, And I don't just mean download numbers, even though they've been really good. Um, I just mean like positive receptions. Everyone just seems to really love them. Um, And it's so great that people remember these movies as fondly as I do. Um, One thing you'll notice is that this episode is not Hellboy 2019. Uh, There's a good reason for that. Um, listen to Hellboy and Hellboy 2 if you haven't and it explains why I have not bothered with Hellboy 2019 and I never am so don't ever expect that to be featured on Verbal Diorama. Um, I want to start with a slight correction to the last episode which was the episode on Hellboy 2 The Golden Army and I also want to thank Andy for pointing it out as well um, because I said that Guillermo del Toro had received a directorial Oscar nomination for Pan's Labyrinth But he did not. Uh, The movie did get six nominations and it did win three Academy Awards, but none of them were for Del Toro as a director. So apologies for that little gaffe. Um, Chances are I probably just got really excited and there was probably a bit of a mix up in my brain with The Shape of Water. So I do always try and be as accurate as possible. Sometimes it doesn't work. um, But if I do make a mistake, call me out on it and I will try and make it right. If you're new to Verbal Diorama, welcome to my podcast. This is the 40th episode. Um, It feels actually a bit special to have 40 episodes. Um, I put a post up on Twitter about the fact that I'm coming up to episode 40. And I said it kind of simultaneously feels like, oh, you know, uh, it's amazing that I've got 40 episodes. And on the other hand, I feel like, oh, why do I not have more than 40 episodes? Because it feels like I should have more, but it also feels like, how have I got to 40? but for this 40th episode i wanted it to be something tonally different um and different to hellboy and hellboy to the garden army specifically and bridesmaids has been a favorite of mine for a very long time um for many reasons that i will come to um but i it's important for me that i keep the schedule a nice mix of everything um and again coming to the end of this episode you'll hear what the next episode is and again it's completely different um but ultimately, it's always stuff that I enjoy and always stuff that I can get something out of um, and hopefully kind of verbally diorama that over to you. So, bridesmaids, um, I'm going to say let's forego the Brazilian steak and let's just get in there with the trailer.
0: I'm engaged. Oh, my God. He asked me last night? What?
1: Oh, oh, what is happening? So will you be
0: my maid of honor? Of course I will. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But... No, just whatever. Yeah. Throw the backstrap party. Yeah. The shower and, oh my God. <laughs> Let's go meet the rest of the bridal party. Come oh on. Get to punch it a couple times. You remember my cousin, Rita? <gasps> they just bought a new house. It is gorgeous. I wouldn't know. I only see the kitchen and the laundry room and the ceiling in my bedroom, sometimes the floor. This is Becca from work. This is this your husband? Oh, no, I don't know him. I'm single. S- I was so distraught when I was single. And I'm fine being by myself. Oh, Becca. This is Ducky's sister, Megan. You must be Annie's fella. I'm not. He's not. I'm not with him. I'm glad he's single, because I'm going to climb that like a tree. You have to meet Helen. You're so pretty. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> Did you come from work? What are we doing for the bachelorette party? What about, like, a princess theme? Versace meets the gold rush. I'm thinking tanned gentlemen that swallow fire and wear sarongs. Female Fight Club, we grease up. Surprise! Beat the crap out of her. I don't hate it. Vegas it is. I had a dream last night that we went down. Oh, God. You were in it. What? Excuse me, ma'am? Please return to your seat. She's not great at flying. I have something that might help you relax. I'm ready to party! Oh, yeah. You should come to Lillian's wedding with me. No. Oh, this is some classy... Jeez, Megan. I'm sorry, I want to apologize. I'm not even confident of which
1: end that came out of. The great thing about that trailer, actually is hardly any of those lines are in the actual movie uh, because there was a lot of improv in this movie. They filmed a lot. If you ever watch the outtakes on the special features, if you've got the the DVD or the Blu-ray, there are tons and tons of incredible lines that didn't make it into the final product. Um, A lot of those are in the trailer and it's just testament, I think, to the skill of the improv of these fantastic women that they can just splurge out all of this fantastic improv. Um, But over to the synopsis. Annie and Lillian are childhood friends growing up together in Milwaukee. Annie recently lost her money and business in the recession and is struggling in all aspects of her life. Lillian announces she's engaged to her boyfriend, Dougie, and asks Annie to be her maid of honour. She then introduces Annie to the rest of the bridal party. Cynical, long-married Rita, naive newlywed Becca, unfiltered, brash future sister-in-law Megan, and rich, beautiful and seemingly perfect Helen, who's married to Lillian's future husband's boss. Immediately jealous of Helen's friendship with Lillian, Annie spirals into insecurity and self-esteem issues and threatens to derail the wedding with her impulsive, reckless and self-destructive behaviour. That synopsis doesn't sound very funny, but it is uh, because we've got a great cast. So let's go through this phenomenal cast of incredibly talented women. Um, We have Kristen Wiig as Annie Walker, Maya Rudolph as Lillian Donovan. Rose Byrne as Helen Harris III, Melissa McCarthy as Megan Price, Wendy McClendon-Covey as Rita, Ellie Kemper as Becca, Chris O'Dowd as Officer Nathan Rhodes, Jill Clayburgh as Judy Walker, Uh, this was her last screen role before she passed away, Uh, Matt Lucas as Gil and Rebel Wilson as Bryn. Uh, uncredited in the movie was John Hamm as Annie's friend with benefits, Ted. And he felt a credit would overshadow the movie uh, because at that time he was known for more serious rather than comedic roles. The film was written by Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wigg, and it was directed by Paul Feig, um, whose career remains fascinating to me um, as he surrounds himself with some of the most talented women in the industry. I mean, you look at his uh, back catalogue, he's got Spy, he's got The Heat, A Simple Favour and Ghostbusters, uh, all female-fronted and each of them a lot of fun and very enjoyable in their own right. Uh, One of those is scheduled for this year at some point. I've not personally seen Last Christmas, but I've heard good things. Um, And Paul Feig seems to be very much the sort of director who wants to highlight great women. Um, I actually appreciate his work very much. So the production history on Bridesmaids, um, so it basically started back in 2007 with the movie Knocked Up. Um, And after starring in that movie, Judd Apatow, who directed it, approached Kristen Wiig. Uh, At that time, she was a regular on Saturday Night Live um, and clearly serious comedic talent. And he asked her if she had any ideas for a screenplay as a starring role for her. Wig had previously provided the idea for The 40-Year-Old Virgin and inspired Steve Carell to create the character. Um, Obviously, The 40-Year-Old Virgin was a massive hit in 2005 and that launched Judd Apatow's directorial career. Um, So Wig, given that responsibility of thinking about any ideas, she teamed up with her friend and collaborator Annie Momolo um, to write a script for which was then titled Maid of Honour. Um, so Wig was working on SNL in New York and Momolo lived in LA and they would meet up at weekends and liaise with Apatow for suggestions and notes and then Wig would fly back to New York so obviously a really really busy time for everyone. Um, Judd Apatow contacted Paul Feig in 2007 to tell him that they were doing table readings for a particularly interesting script. Um, Paul Feig was really interested. Um, he actually thought the project was completely kaput. He thought it was over until he was contacted again in 2010 with news the project was going ahead. And at that point, he said, I want in, this sounds brilliant. Um, So the casting went ahead in 2010. Um, Maya Rudolph was cast because she was already really good friends with Kristen Wiig. Um, They needed to have Annie and Lillian to have a very clear, expositionless friendship because we don't really know anything about their friendship other than their friends. It doesn't go into any great exposition about them, other than they met when they were eight years old. Um, And because they were such good friends, because they had this chemistry, Maya Rudolph fit the bill. Um, Mindy Carling had also auditioned for Lillian, um, but obviously they felt that going with Maya Rudolph was a better fit, and it really is, as much as I love Mindy Carling. Ellie Kemper originally read for the role of Megan before getting the role of Becca. Uh, Wendy McClendon-Covey was apparently the only choice that they had for Rita. Um, obviously now Wendy McClendon Covey is very well known for being one of the leads in the Goldbergs and Ellie Kemper, obviously well known for being uh, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, but at the time in 2011, both were relative unknowns. Um, the only comedy Rose Byrne had done before this was Get to the Greek, uh, which Judd Apatow was also involved in. And it was during post-production on Getting to the Greek that Judd invited Paul Feig to show him Rose Byrne's scenes. Um, she was known mainly up to that point for very straight-laced, very more serious roles. Um, and to be fair, her comedic chops weren't really very well known. Um, but, but Paul Feig saw her, and was impressed with her, and got her to read against Kristen Wiig. Um, their chemistry was pretty instant, um, and it was very clear that they'd found their Helen Harris III and Megan was the last role to be cast and they saw a lot of people for it including Rebel Wilson Um, Rebel Wilson really impressed them but she ended up playing the smaller role of Bryn who is Annie's housemate Um, Busy Phillips was also involved, Um, she obviously worked with Paul Feig on Freaks and Geeks um before melissa mccarthy came in and melissa mccarthy basically took this character of megan and acted exactly how megan is in the movie and they were like wow this is our megan Um, And so the assembled cast then spent weeks together improvising during rehearsals, um, some of which ended up in the finished movie, some of which didn't. Obviously, like I said, there was a lot of improv. Um, The movie was obviously set in Milwaukee and Chicago, um, but although it was set there, it was shot mostly in California. Outside shots of Annie's apartment and the jewellery store are the only things that are actually located in Milwaukee. Um, the bridal store with the unfortunate pooping on the street incident is actually in Los Angeles. Um, that was also featured in the movies The Mask and The Fugitive, uh, which is quite interesting. It's worth noting as well that Wig and Mimolo, um, and pretty much all of the cast were actually against the food poisoning scene. Um, they were actually encouraged to include it um, because I think it was so that the male executives would give the comedy more of a chance it was basically to appease them um, to have this very kind of toilet humor joke in there and luckily it really worked Um, it's probably the most memorable scene in the entire movie Um, obviously in the movie the plan is to go to Vegas for a bachelorette party FYI uh, we call them hen parties but for the purposes of the fact this is an American film I will call it a bachelorette party Um, but so the Vegas bachelorette party was shot but it was scrapped um, because I'm going to come into um, the whole comparisons with the hangover um, but obviously a movie like this with scenes that are in Vegas, when it's already compared to The Hangover, it's already very unfavourably compared to The Hangover in many respects. So let's not compare it anymore. And one of the things that this movie does really well is it highlights that women can be funny. <laughs> uh, which is, is pretty weird, really. It's, it's a really weird thing to kind of suggest that maybe people don't think women are funny. But there are people out there who don't think that women are funny um but women have been funny since the dawn of time um i still think that inside amy schumer is one of the funniest tv shows that i've seen for a long time i still regularly look up clips of that show on youtube just when i need a bit of a laugh because she is just just phenomenal with comedy women in movies um never really allowed to show that they were funny um, because roles for women in traditional comedies usually consisted of you know the nagging wife or girlfriend or a prospective wife or girlfriend and that's tended to be the the typical roles for women in comedy Um, occasionally women were the lead um, but hardly ever in an ensemble comedy apart from a few very notable exceptions so back in the 80s, uh, a trail had been blazed with 9 to 5. And then moving into the 90s with the first Wives Club, which again was a, uh, a small ensemble, again with 9 to 5. These weren't big ensemble female casts. They were f- relatively small ensemble female casts. Um, but arguably the heritage of female-driven comedy goes all the way back to 1939. And in 1939, a movie came out called The Women. It was based on the play of the same name by Claire Booth Luce. Uh, a woman and it starred Norma Shearer, Rosalind Russell, Mary Boland, Joan Crawford, Joan Fontaine and Paulette Goddard all women as women living in Manhattan uh, wealthy women and they were all interconnected by their love lives it's famous for being about men I think the tagline is something like it's all about men or something Um, but no men actually appear in the movie at all it was, like Bridesmaids, directed by a man. So it was directed by a man called George Cooker. Um, But, interestingly, for 1939, it was written by women. So it was based on the play, obviously, Claire Booth Luce. She wrote the play. And then the screenplay was by Anita Luz and Jane Murphin. Um, and it's still regularly cited as one of the best films of 1939. Where Bridesmaids is concerned, obviously, we have... Um, six central female characters. Um, They're all very, very different characters. They're all portrayed very differently. So going through the characters... um, So first of all, we have Annie. Um, And Annie is... Self-destructive, I think, is is putting it mildly. Um, She's very afraid of intimacy. Um, It's clear that she's struggling with some sort of mental health issue, whether it's kind of depression. She just generally feels very out of control um, in her life. Um, And that's that's a societal thing, because I think as a society, she's depicted as being in her 30s. And as society um, basically tells women in their 30s that you need to have it all you know, you need to have a man, you need to be married, you need to have children, you need to have a good job, you need to be able to clean your house, you know, you need to be green-fingered, you need to be an excellent cook, all of these things that society tell us, women in our 30s that we have to be, um, so she's feeling very pressured, Um, she's kind of expected to have it all, have her life kind of sorted, but she tried, the recession happened, And now she's kind of stuck in a bit of a rut. Really, her only source of joy and positivity is Lillian. And Lillian comes across as the sort of woman who has her life kind of together a little bit more. She, at the start of the movie, she's worried that Dougie is going to break up with her because he's acting very strangely. Um, But we find out that he is nervous to ask her to marry him. Um, But during the movie she's very out of control of her own wedding. Um, She also kind of doesn't understand Annie's issues. Maybe it's, it's a bit of, sort of a little bit of, she doesn't have time to deal with Annie and her issues or she's just kind of not on the periphery of, of Annie anymore. Um, but she's also feeling very much sucked into a world that she doesn't actually know she wants. And it's this kind of world of wealth and privilege that she's obviously not used to, um, but Dougie and his family are. And so that's something, there's the the idea of kind of class and class culture and everything is something that I really want to talk about. Um, but obviously when we talk about wealth and privilege, we have to talk about Helen Harris III. Um incredibly beautiful incredibly uh, demure um, seemingly loved by everyone um, but actually she's got anxiety issues she's desperate for approval um, we find out she doesn't really have any real friends and she's even hated by her own family she's really struggling too um, and it's something actually uh, pretty much all of these characters are struggling with something um, and It's one of the reasons why I think this movie is so great because you go into it um, and a lot of times women are just expected to be perfect at all times. You know, always be beautiful, always say the right things, always feel happy. But in real life, it's not the case. So um, the characters in this movie do a really good job of depicting different times in people's lives and different crises that people can feel at different points in their life. Um, Megan. Obviously outwardly Megan is very outspoken um, but we find out that she was bullied a lot at school um, and from that she kind of has no fear really. She's not afraid to hurt other people's feelings. She's not afraid to kind of go for whatever she wants. She's a little bit bullish in that regard Um, but she's also quite sensitive and she's especially sensitive to Annie um, which is quite nice. Um, We get a really lovely scene with them later on in the movie where Megan really kind of kicks her up the bum Um, It tells her that she needs to figure her life out, Um, Rita. So Rita's quite interesting because from the outset, Rita is another character who has it all. You know, she's married. She has three beautiful children. um, But we actually find out that her marriage is loveless, um, that she really craves intimacy. She doesn't get any intimacy from her husband. And she dislikes her own children. And her own children dislike her. Um, And so she's really, she feels like she's very much stuck in a rut with her life as well. Um, And then we kind of end up on Becca. And Becca's really interesting as well, because Becca is a newlywed. She's just married her childhood sweetheart. She comes across as very positive and very enthusiastic about everything. We kind of find out that she's very inexperienced in life, that Kevin was her childhood sweetheart that she hasn't really had any experience of anything else Um, she doesn't even really know if that's what she wants because she's dissatisfied with her life Um, and yeah so that is also another very interesting kind of twist on this whole you know women have to lead perfect lives because every one of them has issues Um, not all of the issues get addressed obviously but they are issues nonetheless and they're all things that I think anyone who's watching can empathize with. So any one of these scenarios you can find some empathy with the characters and I think that's really important for this movie. Um, Obviously there are a lot of comedies in the world and movies in general that deal with weddings, engagement and marriage Um, and while the background of the story is the fact that Lillian is getting married the actual engagement and wedding isn't actually what the story's about it's just a tool to get all these characters together Um, this kind of very varied representation of women uh, as I said in both character and social class um, and this provides some of the more interesting dynamics and comments on class culture Um, specifically we find out that Annie opened a bakery with her ex Um, She was forced to close during the recession. She lost her boyfriend and she lost all of her savings. Um, She's now working a dead end job, lives with two roommates who she can't stand. Uh, Her relationship with her mother is very strained. And the only romance in inverted commas uh, that she has is uh, cupping the balls of Ted. Um, And Ted is just a complete narcissist. Um, He's clearly very wealthy uh, but he also wouldn't know monogamy if it cupped his balls. Um, sorry, mum, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, it's it's a very kind of no-strings-attached sex situation, but Annie clearly wants more from him, and she also hates herself for wanting more. Um, and it's a situation that a lot of women have been in where they feel like this man is no good for them, but it's kind of their only option right now, so they might as well give it a go. But actually... He's no good. You know, you should get rid of him. Um, And like I said, uh, her only real saving grace and joy is her friendship with Lillian. Uh, Lillian is really the only positive influence that she has in her life. So when Lillian suddenly becomes engaged and engaged to this very wealthy country club member, no less, Lillian is thrust into this life of excess, courtesy of new friend Helen, and Annie just feels completely left behind in every regard um she's low on money and high on pride um and she struggles with the feelings of inadequacy that being associated with that lavish lifestyle when you yourself don't have the means to partake in um and the problem with money is is that people like expensive things um it's kind of like well why go buy a no make random phone when you can get the latest iphone which costs five times more and the you know you get more credibility with an iphone than you would with some random phone Um, why would you go to Blackpool on holiday when you could fly to Vegas Uh, again flying to Vegas is a lot more interesting and exciting to tell everyone when you get back than going to somewhere like Blackpool Um, everyone else in the Bridal Party is impressed by Helen's ostentatious displays of wealth privilege and generosity Um, I mean puppy bridal shower favors i mean that is kind of some serious generosity and also slightly irresponsible especially considering megan kind of takes eight of them um the comedic moments obviously shine in this movie but so does this real pathos towards annie in particular um in the fact that all of her ideas uh, which are actually really sweet lovely ideas for her friend um essentially poo-pooed uh, excuse the pun, actually. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to kind of use that uh, so liberally. But um. But yeah, they are. Helen's ideas are seen as bigger, better, bolder, more lavish. Um, and to be honest, it just speaks on the very much modern trend of really expensive weddings, but also really expensive, you know, bridal showers, destination parties that most people on a budget. Just simply can 't afford to attend, and there 's a lot of embarrassment, I think, if you are the only person in that bridal party or, or groom 's party who can 't afford to attend the uh, weekend in Croatia or wherever um, it 's interesting as well that it 's not Lillian uh, as some sort of bridezilla who 's forcing this this extravagance, but it 's actually a bridesmaid. Um, And the problem is that Lillian is just as taken in by the privilege that's handed out by Helen um, that she fails to see this kind of Annie's self-worth just crumbling in front of her. Um, And where Helen's concerned, um, I think in the hands of another actor, I don't think the audience would find it as easy to relate to or ultimately sympathise with Helen. Um, Rose Byrne plays it very straight um, and she does a great job working to undermine Uh, Annie, at every level, Um, it's actually quite masterful that someone who's not known for comedy, or indeed improv comedy, really excels at it when faced with someone who's probably one of the best Saturday Night Live um, has produced recently. I don't watch much Saturday Night Live, I'll have to admit. I only really watch clips um, on YouTube. But again, I kind of feel like someone who's on Saturday Night Live um, clearly is excels at this sort of improv comedy so the fact that you put Rose Byrne up against Kristen Wiig and especially um at the engagement party but then we find out at the end that we have a very somber moment with Helen in the car with Annie where we realize that she's just incredibly lonely um you know that she had is having these issues with her husband that she feels ignored by him and she is despised by her stepchildren. And I think it's quite interesting that she kind of has all the money and status in the world but no real friends, Um, which is another reason why she hangs on to Lillian so desperately. The men of the story, other than Nathan, uh, Officer Rhodes, who provides Annie with some semblance of the love that she craves, are pretty much on the periphery in this movie. Um, Ted is only there to show how low Annie really is and just how low she can go um, that she's prepared to sleep with such a self-obsessed narcissist who deems her his number three. Um, Lillian's fiancé Dougie only says two words in the whole movie. Literally, I do. And obviously Lillian's father bemoans paying for a wedding that's getting more and more extravagant, uh, mainly because of Helen's controlling nature. Usually in a movie like this, the men would be front and centre or at least featured in some way uh, as a foil for the characters. Um, But Nathan being given the most prominent uh, role is actually quite clever um, because he's the smart, kind of sensible, lovely guy who's just given such an emotional depth by the wonderful Chris O'Dowd. Um, And Chris O'Dowd, uh, this is his biggest and most memorable Hollywood role. He's a great comedian generally, But he excels at the sensitivity needed for a character like Nathan. um, A character who's there to basically show Annie, this is what you could get. you know. This is what you deserve. You deserve this love and this affection. And I am willing to give it to you, but you have to be prepared to open up to me. Um, But just on an FYI, he's great in the IT crowd. Um, It's one of my favourite comedies of all time. I want to talk a little bit about uh, awards recognition because... This movie was actually nominated for Best Original Screenplay and best Supporting Actress Academy Awards. Um, it didn 't win either, um, but I kind of feel like the fact a female led female written comedy actually got nominated for two Academy Awards is quite inspiring. Um, because I want to talk about women in Hollywood comedies in a little bit, specifically, and and sort of how Bridesmaids has actually changed uh, female-fronted comedy for the better. Um, But I definitely think that having award recognition on a movie like this definitely helps Hollywood kind of stand up, wake up, and see that, you know, as I said, women, they are funny. Uh, women can front comedies in fact let's be honest women can do anything so the fact that we are talking about a female-fronted comedy that has made such an impact is kind of a bit disappointing in a way because I kind of feel like we shouldn't have to have these conversations um, because it just should be a, a norm that you know everyone can pretty much do anything unfortunately that's not the case um, but yeah we could obviously talk about Um, specifics of what Bridesmaids did in a little bit Um, I want to move on to my obligatory Keanu reference Um, and this is something that I do for each episode where I try and link a movie to Keanu Reeves Um, and this was really tough and I I have said for a while that I think I'm going to find this really tough this has been the most difficult one Um, and I even contemplated asking for help Um, but luckily something came to me and it's not really a link to the movie. It's very tedious, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, because Keanu Reeves does have a link to bridesmaids. Of course he does. Um, because when he and I get married, which will happen, we will have some bridesmaids. There you go. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. I'm, I'm embarrassed for myself, but that's it. Um, yeah, there was, there was nothing much really out there. Um, it's very difficult. It's getting harder. Oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do for the next one uh okay I've got an idea but um well it's a bit rude but we'll, we'll see um so music wise obviously the main song in this film is the Wilson Phillips song Hold On obviously certified banger um other than that I didn't know much about Wilson Phillips um I've since found out that they are the daughters of brian wilson from the beach boys and john and michelle phillips of the mamas and the papas Um, so that's really some musical pedigree Um, right so there's a big elephant in the room well i suppose it's more of a tiger than an elephant uh it's probably in the bathroom somewhere but it is in the room and so i need to talk about it um and that is the comparisons that this movie got to the hangover um now, I want to start um, with a little disclaimer that The Hangover, as a movie, as a comedy, is okay. I've watched it a few times. I laugh occasionally. Um, I don't think it's aged very well. Um, it's deeply uncomfortable to watch in places. And guys just being idiots and doing stupid things is funny for a bit, um, but there is some real kind of misogynistic and uh, outdated in these kind of very racial and homophobic stereotypes um, that I just don't think have aged very well. Uh, I mean, obviously, The Hangover came out 11 years ago. Times were different 11 years ago, but I don't think it's funny in 2020. Um, I do think the first Hangover movie has some merits. I think it has a good cast. I think Bradley Cooper is great in it. Uh, And obviously, he's attractive, so, yeah, I like him. Um, And there are some mildly amusing scenes, but comparing bridesmaids to the hangover is a bit like comparing peas to ice cream and that might sound weird but I kind of feel like well yeah sure peas are fine everyone can enjoy peas they're you get something out of them they're nutritious and they're fine but do you want to eat peas because ice cream is so much nicer it's got so much more flavour Um, it's more enjoyable like you will always enjoy eating ice cream you will sometimes enjoy eating peas but sometimes given the choice you would always go for the ice cream and so I feel like it's a very weird comparison to make just because you have a comedy starring men and a comedy starring women it doesn't mean that the female comedy is the female version of the male comedy Um, and personally I just think Bridesmaids is better in every regard um and that i think that's because bridesmaids actually likes women um which is kind of a good place to start um and i don't just mean for female viewers i think it does work for female viewers but i think it also works for male viewers as well whereas the opposite way the hangover works i think well for male viewers but i don't think female viewers actually get a great deal from the hangover Um, bridesmaids actually treats women as people um, as genuine human beings who have flaws, you know, who, yeah, burp and fart and have insecurities, and they also try and one up each other, and they poo and they vomit. Uh, because, newsflash, women do all of those things. Um, but these women are also kind and supportive and funny, seriously funny. And I don't know how much of the hangover was improv. I assume quite a bit was improv in the hangover. Um, But I just feel like the comedy just feels so much more natural in Bridesmaids. Um, Bridesmaids has an enduring legacy that obviously something like The Hangover just doesn't. Um, And the main reason for that is obviously The Hangover is a male-fronted comedy in a sea of male-fronted comedies. So why would it be a trailblazer for anything? Um, But Bridesmaids kind of has this distinction of being the first um i want to say first obviously i know i mentioned the 80s and 90s and i mentioned 1939 um but hollywood is different now hollywood doesn't want to take risks it always wants to make loads of money um and it wants a formula that's proven um and so when bridesmaids came out um you had this kind of natural advent of other really smart female-fronted comedies um just off the top of my head the likes of train wreck Uh, starring aforementioned Amy Schumer, which I think is a really great, funny movie. Um, There's also the recent Booksmart as well, which is so fantastic. Um, Blockers, um, it's obviously a bit more raunchy, um, but again, it it really is hilariously funny. And Girl's Trip. um, I laughed so hard at Girl's Trip. Um, I mean, there is one scene in particular... um, probably (laughs) i'm not gonna say it made me pee myself um but if it did then it would have been in keeping with the movie so um but all of those movies all owe a debt to bridesmaids um and that's no small feat because in the wake of bridesmaids other studios did kind of scramble to get their own female-fringed comedies made um but there was this predicted boom of r-rated uh women's comedy that didn't really materialize um a lot of the comedies that i mentioned they're not R-rated. I think maybe Trainwreck might have been. We don't have R ratings over here, so I'm not entirely sure of the rating of Trainwreck. But the others, um, I don't think they were R-rated. Prove me wrong. Let me know. Um, The majority of bridesmaids successors have been a bit tamer. Um, I think also a good successor to bridesmaids was probably something like pitch perfect as well pitch perfect was obviously very comedically focused um but also very musically focused as well um again that was a more of a tame kind of movie it still had vomit in it though because you know girls vomit um but as with most things in hollywood as i said all it takes is one to be successful and then the floodgates open and then we get a thousand carbon copies luckily the vast majority of of movies that are very kind of female-centric comedies have on the most part been good. Uh, we haven't really had anything that's very substandard that I'm aware of. Pride is often seen as groundbreaking and in many ways it is. Um, it showed you could make a relatively cheap movie written by and starring women and make it just as funny as any male driven comedy and also turn it into a zeitgeist forming powerhouse. Um, I've read some pieces online that suggest it's not feminist because all Lillian wants to do is marry Dougie. And all Annie wants to do is find love. First from Ted and then from Nathan. And then to win Nathan, she needs to get into the kitchen and bake. Um, but I feel like the feminist argument first and foremost is about women having choice and having autonomy over their lives and bodies. Um, Annie has self esteem issues so deep rooted that she goes to an absolute bell end for regular sex. And while the movie makes her story have a romantic element to it with the introduction of Nathan, he's also the kick up the bum she needs to stop focusing so much of her energy on Helen and start focusing that energy on herself. Um, and as I said, Megan is also a really great kind of force for good for Annie, because Megan tells her that she's her own problem, but she's also her solution. And Annie wanting a mutually beneficial and satisfying relationship might not be something that a therapist would advise at this kind of stage of her life. Um, And especially if she is kind of, you know, suffering from some sort of mental health issue. Um, However, Nathan's very calm, sensitive demeanor is more suited to kind of her frantic, frenetic energy in the absence of Lillian in her life, which is the thing she fears the most, is losing Lillian. She feels like she needs someone to replace that calmness. Um, And I think people forget that there's no one size fits all solution for mental health. Um, But ultimately, the person who's suffering is the one that needs to acknowledge it and also needs to make steps to get the help that they need. So yeah, (laughs) uh, I feel like I've, gone on a bit of a low note but it is a very funny movie but it's also a great encapsulation of female friendship and how we can tear each other down but also how we can build each other up um surround yourself with those beneficial relationships whether it's just friends or more and you'll shine you will eventually get the good things in life and i believe that i genuinely do so financially um the movie was actually made for about 32.5 million dollars um, which is not a lot in Hollywood, not even in 2011, it's not a lot. It ended up grossing $288.4 million worldwide. Um, interestingly, males made up 33% of the audience and women the other 67%. And 63% of those people were over the age of 30. So there was a clear demographic that they were looking for and they got it. Um, again, it's, I think it's stands to to great marketing of this movie, the trailer is really good and the sheer powerhouse of having all of these women in one movie um it's not happened again um and there's a reason because with figures that are that good there's always talk of a sequel it's kind of inevitable really that talk will be of a sequel and their sequel was discussed um but judd apatow wanted it to be better than the first And that's really commendable and admirable, I think, for any filmmaker, whether you're a director or a producer or a writer or whatever, um, to kind of say, yes, we will make a sequel. But only if it's better and we can tell a good story and we can actually make it worthwhile for people to go and see. Because a lot of sequels do tend to be either a rehash of the first or just completely wildly different. Um, Some of them good, some of them not so but at the time, Kristen Wigg and Addie Momolo had moved on to another project. Universal did attempt to produce a sequel without their involvement. They wanted it to focus on Melissa McCarthy's character, Megan. Um, but it actually never materialised. And McCarthy admitted that she would not contemplate a sequel without the rest of the cast being involved. So they have a very clear bond, these women. It's very clear that they enjoyed working together, that they got a lot from each other. And a sequel will probably never happen. Um, but I'm fine with that. I am okay with that as long as we get more like it I am absolutely fine with it okay so moving over to social media what I do is I always um ask on social media so I go to Twitter Instagram and Facebook and I ask for people's thoughts on the movie uh what their memories are and basically whether they like it or not um and got a great deal of thoughts for bridesmaids only on Twitter um but all very very positive which is Lovely. um So, first of all, we have a uh, regular contributor, Andy. I'm pretty sure he's contributed on every single episode so far. Um, I might have to go back and check. But uh, Andy at Geek Salad Radio said, Perhaps Kristen Wigg's greatest creation. However, Maya Rudolph and Melissa McCarthy absolutely steal this show. Which they do. I've mentioned the cast, how brilliant they are. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is a revelation in this movie. But I'm really impressed by Rose Byrne, I have to say. I never expected that sort of comedy out of Rose Byrne. And now she's featured in quite a few comedies. Um, Bad Neighbours, I think you guys call it Neighbours in America. Instant Family she was in as well. Um, yeah, she seems to really excel at comedy. Um, so it's, I think it's really great that that's career um, prospect has opened up for Rose Byrne. Um, at Josh Mike King. Said, I totally just watched that again the other day and it's still fantastically hilarious. Chris O'Dowd is my freaking hero after IT crowd, comedic genius, and such an amazing cast of funny women. At Betamax Pod said, Maya Rudolph in the street, like a dog, plus bonus bastard John Ham. At Robin Hood Pod said, Absolute Belter. At Dave J. Wood who's dave from not for the dinner table said this film is hilarious from start to finish my highlight is the aeroplane scene oh you do do you <laughs> A great casting great comedy and shows that the Hindu is always better than the stag um <laughs> uh, yeah my impressions are not great but oh you do do you um yeah so fun um At M Higg said, forget everyone else in this movie. For me, it's cemented what a true star Rose Byrne is. Agreed, 100%. At Sophie Boo GC1, who's Soph from Not For The Dinner Table, so we've got two Not For The Dinner Table comments today, said, it's one of my favourite films. There are so many scenes in this film I absolutely love. The friendship, jealousy triangle of Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph and Rose Byrne is so, so, so relatable to me. Brackets, I'm super jealous. And any girl with a best friend. Love, love, love. And finally, at Kirsty Bennett 8 said, brilliant film, hilarious. We're coming up to the end of this episode now. How are we doing for time? Reasonably good. Um, I hope I've gone some way to dispel the female hangover myth. Um, women are funny and they deserve to blaze that trail. And any movie should be honoured or made of honoured, ha ha ha, uh, to be compared to Bridesmaids. Um, thank you for listening to this episode um as always i would love to hear your thoughts on bridesmaids um so the next episode um there's something underground in perfection nevada graboids to be precise and only kevin bacon can dance his way out of it um oh i think that might be the wrong movie anyway it spawned five sequels one prequel and a one season tv show but the original 1990 movie is by far the best Ladies and gentlemen, next episode of Verbal Diorama is the classic monster comedy, Tremors. I am so excited for Tremors. Um, It's a movie that scared me silly when I was a child. There's one scene in particular that I found very, very scary. I'm going to brave Tremors for you guys. Uh, Yeah, I'm actually excited to see Tremors. Um, I think it's really good. From what I remember, it was really good. And I think the effects, I'm hoping the effects still stand up, but I think they will um anyway so please join me next episode episode 41 for tremors if you like this episode i've also done episodes on titan ae captain marvel dread who framed roger rabbit sky captain and the world of tomorrow pleasantville the cabin in the woods speed aladdin 1992 and 2019 pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl x-men dark phoenix charlie's angels 2000 the mummy 1999 the matrix John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine, Arthur Christmas, Akira, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Incredibles, The Lego Movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbour Totoro, Spirited Away, Treasure Planet, Clueless, Hellboy 2004, and Hellboy 2 The Golden Army. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcast from. No way of making that any smaller. It's only going to get bigger. <clears throat> you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash Verbal from $2 a month. Uh, you can get some fab perks such as access to the upcoming schedule, a shout out on the next episode and on Twitter and early release episodes. Thank you to patrons Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek and Jason for supporting Verbal Diorama. It's worth noting as well that I've just finalised my schedule for October, uh, which is a long way away. So I am currently scheduled all the way through to October. Schedule will change. Um, I tend to publish next month and the middle of the previous month so patrons currently know what's coming up in May I actually got some really great feedback from patrons who are excited about stuff happening in May you can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions verbaldiorama at gmail.com and my website is verbaldiorama.com if you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review you can do so on Apple Podcasts or over on Podchaser and I would really appreciate that and finally I have a column over at Film Stories magazine it's an independent British movie magazine. It's currently on a hiatus due to the coronavirus pandemic, but back copies are still available. I would love it if you would go some way to support it. I know it's difficult times for everyone, but it's really difficult times for independent business. Um, you can go over to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine. Um, you can also go over to filmstories.co.uk and see articles that are written by me um, because I do little bits for film stories online so I have a weekly recommendation for a great British movie podcast that's not me I don't write about myself I write about other people um and I also have a weekly I play a list of movies that are available to watch for free here in the UK courtesy of the BBC and so I'm going to edit all this I'm going to put it all together I'm going to put some music on and then I'm going to release it so just give me three seconds three seconds can't release a podcast in three seconds you're setting me up for failure already (laughs) my impressions are rubbish bye